HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This is Gastronomica, a Heritage Radio Network podcast. I'm your host for today, Irina Mihalake. This series is produced in collaboration with Gastronomica, the Journal of Food Studies. Our summer season previews Gastronomica's newest issue, 23.2, soon to be available online. This issue spotlights the theme of working with food, focusing especially on urban transformations, on work and play, and on market values. My guest this week is Cristina Fernandez Racosens, joining us to discuss their new piece, Truita de Pedres, a Catalan recipe for visualizing women's domestic work. Cristina is a lecturer at the School of Languages and Literatures at the University of Surrey. In their PhD, they propose the incorporation of body movement for the teaching of literature. They have also coordinated several research projects related to oral history and undertaken further research in the fields of culture and gender studies. Thank you very much for joining us, Christina, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Irina. It's my pleasure. Okay, so first of all, can you briefly share with listeners about what you do and also a little bit about your journeys from Catalonia to England? Yes, of course. So, as you explained, I'm a lecturer at the School of Literatures and Languages at the University of Surrey. And I actually joined the school in January this year. So, this is my first permanent position as a lecturer in the UK. And before that, uh, I applied for a position as a Catalan teacher in 2017 um, uh, because this was an opportunity for me to gain some experience teaching in higher education whilst finishing my PhD. Uh, so before joining Surrey, I was teaching Catalan language and culture at the University of Birmingham and then at Durham University. Congratulations for your new, your new role. Thank you very uh, much. Yeah, tell me a little bit about about what you, what you research, what you study, what you teach, and how how your research so far has brought you to food, to the study of food. 
So uh, I'm very interested in the body. Uh, and I'm particularly interested in its significance in academic settings and its potentiality as a source of knowledge. Uh, and I'm currently exploring its capacity to be a recipient of individual and collective memory. Uh, actually, my PhD, I proposed the incorporation of body movement and related methodologies for the teaching of poetry. Uh, and my research was uh, practice-based, so I analyzed uh, poetry workshops that took place mainly in Catalan uh, academic institutions. Uh, but before that, uh, when I finished my degree, my first uh, research position was in the field of um, oral history and memory. Um, so I directed two projects that were in this field. And because of this background, I was invited to participate in this project about food. So my field is not food studies, but I, I ended up working with uh, food because uh, my interest in history and oral history and collecting people's stories. Yeah, that, that makes, makes perfect sense. Uh, so I'm going to delve right into our discussion about your work. Uh, so something that was very interesting to me was the fact that you are you are from the city that you are studying, which is Blanes in Catalonia. So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about uh, women and fish gastronomy, uh, but also about what it means to you know to study a place that you that you call home or that you called home at some point. Well, maybe we'll start here. Yes. So, uh, yeah, Blanes is my hometown where I grew up and also where I actually worked on this research project about oral history at the beginning of my career. And this uh, project uh, that is discussed in the article uh, in Gastronomica is actually a project about fish consumption and was promoted by the historical archives, the Archivo Municipal. Uh, and its director, Tony Reyes. So the historical research was actually part of a bigger project funded by the European Maritime and Fisheries Fund, which supports coastal communities. And the project aim was to investigate the popular eating habits around uh, the consumption of fish, and especially if and how they have changed during recent years. Uh, and with that objective, uh, last summer, I conducted a series of interviews to a total 15 local women between 59 to 89 uh, years. And um, due to my interest in gender studies, I proposed to the archives to incorporate a focus on understanding the gender dimensions of the fishing labor. Uh, so I particularly wanted to understand how the tasks related with fish consumption were distributed between men and women in the household. And it's, uh, that is how I came across the recipe, the Trita de Pedras, that one of our informants, Montserrat Bardaguer, shared with us. And regarding the, the question about um, working or doing research at home, um, it, it has been such a privilege because I left my country six years ago and um, I was I was doing research there, I felt more con connected to my community and my people. So going back uh, to work there has been, um, yeah, uh, very, um, a very good opportunity. And at the same time, I think that the time I have spent outside Catalonia has broadened my perspective and these... Um, physical and intellectual distance has allowed me to observe my 
culture more critically. So, uh, yeah, very interesting to go back with this distance and perspective as well. Yeah, thank you for that. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about um, what's what is Catalan culinary heritage? Because I your your focus here is on fish, so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about. What does fish mean for fish culture mean for for the Catalans? And yeah, what is what is culinary heritage? Yes. So uh, whilst doing the research for uh, the project, I started investigating about the, the the meaning of or the importance of food in Catalan culture. And one of the articles that I came across is actually published by someone also called Montserrat uh, Montserrat Rosé. And this article is entitled, What is Cooking in Catalonia? And I like her approach of how Catalans actually have used their cooking as a symbol or an attribute of differentiation, similarly as we have done with our language, for example. So as you might know, Catalan culture and language have been persecuted during the last two centuries. Um, and Montserrat Rosé actually in the article describes how during the dictatorship um, in the 20th century, the regime enforced uh, a vision of national Spanish homogeneity uh, that produced this idea of a, 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 a only a one gastronomic uh, cultural heritage. And during the arrival of democracy, Catalans became more empowered, recovering their cuisine. So I guess that I understood whilst reading about it, how, uh, same as other uh, expressions of culture, gastronomy has also this um, sense of remember, remembering our history of repression and our uh, identity. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. And would you say that is fish a very important lens to understand this is very this very tense notion of of national identities to food. Yes, of course. So Blan is located in the coast, and uh, the project was very much focused on the importance of fish, and fish is a very important element of Catalan cuisine. Um, whilst reading uh, about uh, Catalan gastronomy, I also discovered that actually one of the particularities of our uh, gastronomy is to mix uh, meat and fish in the same dishes. Uh, and actually some of the recipes that we collected during the 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 research and the interviews involved the, this aspect of having meat and fish in the same in the same dish. Oh, fascinating! Maybe later on you can share. Maybe at the end you can share some of these recipes with us. Uh, but I want to know more before before we we'll, we take a quick break in a little bit. I want to I want to understand a little bit more about how you just how you conducted your research. What are your sources? I know that you talked to some incredible, incredible women, some local activists, but how did you talk to, how did you decide to start the research? And what did it mean to, to do the research together with different other organizations, right? From large European funders to small local uh, archives. So for the project, I mainly applied methodology that I had used previously to other oral history projects. So my previous research in this field uh, was with funding from the Memorial Democratic, which is a public institution dedicated to promote the recovery of the history uh, of the dictatorship and the repression. So at the time, they provided the research with training, the researchers with training on how to work with oral sources. 
so I applied this uh, methodology that I had used before, um, and then we agreed with the archives, with the local archives, on a list of research objectives that we wanted to accomplish and some questions that we wanted to answer, and we designed the script together. Um, something that uh, I think uh, it's interesting about this project is that it was promoted by the, by the, by the city council uh, itself, and as I said, it was part of a, of a bigger project. Uh, and I felt that during the collaboration with them, they were very open to my contributions. So there was the, the initiative, but I felt that I was able to be independent as a researcher. And I was also able to incorporate uh, my, my approaches and my methodology. Uh, so then uh, we designed a script for the interviews and we selected uh, the testimonies. So the objective was to collect knowledge, popular knowledge about fish consumption, and therefore we were uh, looking for working class women, and we targeted a total of 30 possible candidates. And we had a first chat with, uh, with them, and finally we made a selection of uh, 15, um, and we took into account that the sample uh, was diverse. So we were trying to include different social backgrounds, different origins, and different profiles. So some of the women belonged to families that were fishers. Some of them were related with the fish industry. Some of them were, wor were working or had work as fish sellers. And then others were uh, women that were well known in the town for having cooked at home or for having light cooking and having invested time in the kitchen, specifically in the in the fish, cooking fish. And of course, this initial phase was, as I said, also accompanied by a review of bibliography about food studies, Catalan gastronomy and fishing and fish gastronomy in Catalonia. And precisely, I was working at Durham University, where uh, one of my colleagues was Professor Rossi Song, who is a specialist in Catalan gastronomy. So her book, published with Ana Riera, A Taste of Barcelona, dedicated to the history of Catalan cooking and eating, um, was very relevant, relevant at this uh, moment of my research. And actually, last year, I also had the pleasure to uh, attend, attend the, the last North American Catalan Society Colloquium in Amherst uh, in April 22. And there, Professor Rossi Song was the keynote speaker, and she discussed how recipes actually illuminate the cultural worlds from which they originate, and she talked about their interdisciplinary and cultural dimensions, and also about how food and culinary practices can be understood as forms of soft power. So um, I think uh, Rossi Song's work was very inspiring at this uh, moment. And also, actually, it was Rossi Song who encouraged me to send my work to Gastronomica. So I would like to take the opportunity to, to thank her as well. Okay, thank you very much. We are going to take a very short break and then we'll be back in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. 
Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. And we're back. This is Gastronomica on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Irina Mihalake talking with Cristina Fernandez Recasens about their forthcoming article on Catalan women's domestic work and Pebbles Omelette, which will appear in Gastronomica's newest issue, 23.2, out soon. So now that we have a great context for, for Catalan heritage, uh, I want to dig a little bit deeper in some of some of the works that you did on, specifically on this project. And one of the heroes of your article is Montserrat Verdaguer, who also happens to be the creator of the recipe that you feature in your writing. Uh, I want for you to tell us a little bit more about the discussion that you had with her, but also with some of her, her colleagues and maybe other members of the community uh, who are doing this work to document their domestic labor, raise awareness about women's absence from culinary history in the area, which are some of the themes that emerge in your, in your work. Yes, so absolutely. Uh, Montserrat uh, Bardagué, she is the absolute genius and the creator of this recipe. Uh, and we invited her to participate in the project because all together with her friend Julia Navarro, she has a project called Kilometre Zero Puncat, dedicated to zero kilometers food. So it is actually a blog or a website where they share the recipes of their mothers and grandmothers collecting further uh, recipes from women from the town of Planes and the surrounding region. So their website has become a very valuable archive of gastronomical heritage. And I think they also include this gender perspective of um, giving value to the women's culinary uh, knowledge. Um, and Montserrat is retired now, but she used to work in the lab of a pharmaceutical factory in the local area. Uh, but uh, at home, she she was always cooking, um, and she was uh, responsible for doing this this job. So for when I was getting ready for this uh, interview, I actually uh, called her on Friday and I asked, um, I, I would like to explain uh, what do you think about the recipe, and if you think that. Uh, it has changed with different generations. So Montserrat was born in nine, 1957. So things evolved a little with the arrival uh, of democracy, but uh, women of uh, her generation and older generations, it was assumed that they were going to be uh, doing the domestic work and his work was unpaid and unrecognized. Uh, so in the case of uh, Montserrat, she told me she she doesn't think that uh, her household was especially sexist. It she says it's more that it was just traditional for women of her generation to do the work uh, at home. Uh, so it, it's very common. And in her case, as I explained in the article, she says that she has always uh, liked cooking and she has always been very interested in in food. Uh, 
but then, uh, as you know, she's shared this particular recipe, which I inter- it's my interpretation, of course, but I think it has a very revolutionary uh, potential, uh, the Trita de Pedras that she explained to us in the interview. Tell us a bit more, maybe there's a, this is a good point for you to tell us a bit more about the recipe and how how you how you read it in your in your work and how did how did Mo, the discussion with Montserrat shaped your your understanding of her her processes yeah so as i explained before uh, i was interested in this intersection between gender studies and food studies and i incorporated to the research project the analysis of reproductive work made by women in this fishing industry uh, context. So one of the questions that we incorporated in the script was to ask women if they felt their work was valued and recognized at home. And Montserrat explained that uh, she has always liked cooking, but it's true that she many times felt that cooking uh, involved a lot of work, a lot of labor, thinking about it and preparing it and buying it and then cooking. And she she shares the household with her husband and the son. And she, she says that, yeah, that basically sometimes she felt this job was not recognized. And as a joke, she was threatening them with cooking them stones. She would do that uh, every now and then. She would say, if you don't say this is nice or thank you very much for doing it, uh, one day I will cook you stones. And uh, then actually uh, one day in Fool's Day, which in Catalonia is in December, the 28th of December, uh, Montserrat, Montserrat went, to go, went to the beach and she collected some pebbles and she went home. And she actually uh, cooked an omelette that included these pebbles inside. So from the outside, it seemed it has the appearance of um, a sausage omelette, which is very typical Catalan dish. And she served it for dinner for her husband and son. And uh, yes, she, they were very surprised, of course. And then uh, she took this opportunity to to make her her uh, work in the kitchen valuable. So when, when she explained this in the interview, I I realized that it was very powerful um, performance as well and very, very uh, powerful recipe. Um, and it has the power of making, I use the word, um, um, I use the word, um, sorry, uh, alchemic in the article because it has the power of making visible this uh, invisible uh, work that women take. Uh, So I think with the omelette, Montserrat demonstrates that women who take unpaid work also have the power because when they withdraw their labor, uh, this has a very revolutionary uh, potential. Uh, and I think the recipe as well crystallizes many of the gender tensions that are reproduced in the family home and also points out to possibilities to subvert this within the domestic space. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And I wonder, um, in your discussions with uh, the participants to your project, did you uncover any other similar moments of subversion, maybe not as clearly articulated as the the wonderful story of of Montserrat, but what what are some other ways in which women, especially of this generation, are are trying to challenge the the systems? 
Yes, I I ask uh, this question to um, the, all, every woman in the in the research project, and um, the I, some of them had more critical approaches than than others. I remember, for example, one of the participants, uh, another of the informants, Lola Masaks, um, she also explained that she was the one cooking in the house. Uh, and she also mentioned that even if now she realizes that the women are not doing uh, that work, and somehow there is like a culinary popular knowledge that it's being lost amongst the women in the town, she also expressed how she's happy for women to not to have to spend so much time in the kitchen, uh, and that she's happy for women to have other opportunities in life. So I think that is that aspect where um, the, some of the women that we interviewed, they realized how this has changed. Uh, other women were commenting on how it's different from newer generations and how now their, son, uh, are, their sons are the, the ones cooking. For example, in the case of Montserrat Bardaguer, she says that in his, her, her son, is the, he likes cooking a lot. Maybe in, in previous generations, it, it was uh, not uh, that common. And I think it, it was, as I explained before, um, the, this is very ready with a historical moment where they lived because the Franco regime, which was a fascist regime, had the objective of suppressing many women's rights that actually were achieved during the Second Republic, uh, in which feminism achieved many improvements, both in Catalonia and in the rest of Spain. Uh, so I think that after the, the civil war, when the dictatorship was established, many uh, women's rights and other human rights were suppressed. And the family was actually this space, the base of this patriarchal society. And women's role in the family was to take care of this domestic work, which was unpaid, unrecognized, and left them in a very vulnerable position. So I was interested in checking how this was being reflected in this particular aspect of the, the, fish, um, the fish industry and the fish uh, gastronomy. Yeah, and I, I, I really, what I really appreciated about your article was how you moved between two very different spaces. So on one, on one side, you looked at uh, the gender inequities that exist within the home, but then you looked at the fish industry and you pointed out a couple of similar, right, similar issues that are, are related to unpaid labor, the kind of the, the division of labor. So I wonder if you could draw some connections between the, the, the domestic intimate space of the home and the broader kind of fishing industry in, in, in Catalonica. Yes. Uh, uh, so drawing from uh, women in my hometown experiences, uh, I explain in the article how feminists have described uh, the traditional, how the traditional uh, Marxist analysis of labor lacks this gender perspective. So I was interested in looking at the fish industry with this perspective. And in this case, for example, we discovered that the labor was divided and the men normally were responsible for going fishing and the women were doing other tasks related with uh, fishing, but not the fishing itself. So, for example, they were helping preparing the nets and sewing the nets. And the selling of the fish also in the market, in the home, then was also done mainly by women. There were some men that were selling the fish, but mainly it was a majority of women. And still nowadays it is. 
Another, uh, this is a, precisely an aspect that has not evolved that much because nowadays in Catalonia, uh, there are not that many, in Catalonia in general, there are not that many uh, women that are um, fishers. And in Blanes, we, all, we only have one uh, woman that uh, it's a professional fisher. fisher um, it is Triola. So I was interested in uh, analyzing uh, how, yes, this uh, local uh, economical structure reproduced these uh, uh, injustices that we can see in other, um, in, yeah, in, in other economic uh, structures as well. Mm-hmm. So um, something else that I wanted to, to ask about, because I think that, that maybe it's going to tie some of these discussions together, is about who writes the history of Catalan cuisine? In your article, you mentioned that most of the texts about Catalan gastronomy are written by very well-established chefs. Uh, so how do you think the work that uh, Montserrat and her colleagues or Kilo- the Kilometer Zero organization, how is that going to shift? If you can predict the future, is that going to shift the... Uh, who writes? Uh, who writes, and who's visible in the writing of of history in in Catalonia? Yes. Or what are your thoughts? Your predictions? Yeah. <laughs> or how this might evolve? Yes. So yeah, it, it, when I was doing the research for the project, I realized how the the, the most uh, prominent reference books about Catalan gastronomy uh, were written by men. So we have Josep Pla, uh, Alquim Manjat, Vázquez uh, Montalban, Plat del Menjar Catalunya. Nestor Luján, the Dictionary of Catalan Gastronomy, and also our most internationally recognized chef outside the Catalan territory is also a man, Farran Adrià. Uh, so I, I found this very striking, that very contradictory, um, since in the Catalan countries, uh, same as in many other societies, the domestic world that includes cooking has historically been uh, female work. Uh, regarding the, about your question, how this will change, I think that uh, gender studies and and the, and feminism as a perspective have the potentiality to change this, hopefully, and to repair this uh, injustice. So I think that uh, uh, pro- yes, hopefully this will change. Uh, thank, thanks to these critical perspectives that can challenge um, the. Yeah, this um, this this um, uh, lack of representation of, of women's voices, and as I explained in the article, the recipe of Montserrat uh, kind of points out for the possibilities of subversion in this um, in this field, and it also includes an invitation for others to think about how can they. Uh, visualize, make more visible women's work and how uh, we can think about uh, this injustice of how uh, food knowledge normally has been a knowledge that has been passed from women to women through oral tradition uh, and through this uh, performative act of communicating the recipe. So hopefully, yes, this, this will evolve and change. Yeah, it seems like there's so much, so much power in in in, in this recipe uh, and in the 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 local labor that that women are doing to reinsert themselves into the narrative. So I wonder, as we are wrapping up our discussion, uh, two questions. So first, 
are there some observations that uh, you know that you found in this research that you didn't get a chance to share any other kind of exciting or you know maybe exciting findings or things that that you, we didn't have time to discuss so uh First, maybe I would like to uh, share with you, I think, one of the limitations of the project, which is that it was based mainly in a very binary understanding of gender. So we were looking at traditional forms of families. And I think uh, if there is a continuation, uh, it would be very interesting to pursue um, a continuation of the project or of the research in search of more diverse forms of families and a more queer approach to this topic, which can also be another way of seeking this uh, subversion of these traditional structures. And uh, another contradiction that I uh, found during uh, the the process of research um, is maybe what I have already shared before uh, when this other informant, Lola Massax, expresses how she's happy for women uh, not to have to do this work anymore. Um, one of the pending questions that I, I have is um, if women have sustained families and communities with their work and with their care uh, in Catalonia, uh, now where are they delegating these tasks uh, and who is uh, preparing our food. So I, I'm thinking more about health and how important it is to invest time in preparing and cooking our food and how this connects with nature and sustainability. Uh, so this is one of the pending questions that I have from the from the from the work when when women liberate from this important uh, care work and all this, what is going to happen, who is going to hold all this culinary knowledge and who is going to pass it uh, to other generations and in which uh, shapes. So, yeah, maybe this can connect as well with the first question that if, if this evolves, maybe we will be looking at other forms of family, other forms of transmitting the knowledge, which I think it's, um, it's yeah, I, th- I find very interesting, as I said, because it's something that happens in this intersection of gender studies and, and food studies. And lastly, what's next for your research? Uh, I, I don't know, what are the plans with moving this research forward or is there any other food-related research or not food-related research that you are excited about? Yes, so uh, this project uh, now, um, the next step is we are preparing a recipe book that we will publish uh, hopefully next year with the city council. We, we have collected one recipe from every one of our informants and another part of the project is to produce a documentary for a popular audience. Uh, and then, apart from the research in food studies, I'm also uh, creating another, uh, designing another research project, which is related with uh, studying the, the processing of collective traumatic events. Uh, and I, I will try to incorporate body-based methodologies in the field of oral history. So it's a, it's a research that will bring together these two main strands of my work, the memory studies in Catalonia and also embodied uh, methodologies. Well, thank you, Cristina, for joining us. Listeners will be able to read the full piece in Gastronomica, the Journal for Food Studies, issue 23.2, coming out soon. 
For more details, visit gastronomica.org. Uh, join us for our next episode in two weeks when we will be talking with Alan Maser about street vending and daytime markets in Taiwan. And subscribe to the Gastronomica podcast feed on your favorite platform to stay updated on our newest episodes this summer season. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.